You're listening to a sermon from Realm Church. We're a church based in Oakland, California. For more information about us, visit therealmchurch.com. This sermon comes to us from Pastor James Westbrook. And verse 16, Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. Continuing on in our journey through the book of Acts, chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 16 down through verses 34, and then I'll pray for us and we'll be on our way here. This is the word of the Lord. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself! For we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Our Lord, we come before you now with our Bibles open to hear from you. And we are filled with great joy as we even read this account of you intervening in two lives in particular. And we look forward to uh, digging in here and seeing how you worked in the lives of these two individuals uh, to grant a freedom that is only found in you and in the good news that is in Jesus Christ. We rejoice um, that we have this opportunity to sit under your word. Uh, And so we ask your Holy Spirit now to come and teach us 
to instruct us. We ask that you would be with our preacher as he opens your word, that he would uh, bring forth uh, the truth that you have for us to hear today. And Lord, help us not to just be hearers, help us to proceed and be doers of that which you will, we will hear today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace be with you. For anyone that's new, that is a proclamation of peace, which is something that is very common uh, in the Middle East from the ancient world all the way into this time. So I'll do it one more time. Peace be with you. Thank you for that. Um, so uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back before you. Uh, I was not here uh, last week. I was um, in Walnut Creek or Fremont. Where is that at this? Fremont? Milpitas. I gave two options, and both were wrong. Um, I was in Milpitas, and so uh, we were celebrating with our uh, Korean-speaking church uh, brothers and sisters down there, and uh, it was a time of joy, and uh, we were really appreciative for that time. I'm also thankful for what was happening here, because you all ate a good meal, uh, as we say. Um, so let's praise the Lord for uh, uh, Brother Chris bringing the Word of God. Um, Chris sets us up so well when you're looking at chapter 15. Chapter 15, we have something that is true and uh, central to the message of the gospel. You have this, uh, this exchange of religion for relationship over law for grace, which is central to the message of Christianity and is something that we have to understand. And we have to understand that today if we're going to understand what God is doing in the lives of these folks that we're about to talk about here. The gospel... Paul calls it the message of God's grace, or the message of grace, God's message of grace to the world. It is literally spreading all over the place right now, and it is now spreading and is breaking all type of barriers, which I believe that wherever Christianity goes, it's supposed to bring freedom. Where Christianity goes and it brings slavery or bondage, then you know that it's not a biblical Christianity because it does not follow what the Bible actually says. And we know by looking in history that Christianity and how people used it, it created bondage. And we reject that. We reject it as something that Christ taught. Everywhere it went is breaking all types of barriers. We see it in several different examples. We've seen that God is breaking racial and ethnic barriers. We saw that back in chapter 11, that there's no more they and them. Now there is a us, and God doesn't have just simply one people group, but God is now changing people's lives all over the world, no matter what you look like, no matter who your mama was, who your daddy was. God is now saving all types of people uh, ethnically. We see that God is also breaking geographical lines. It's not just allotted to just one place in the world, which is namely Israel. God is now breaking, so now the gospel and the message of God's grace is spreading literally uh, throughout the Middle East. It's gone through Africa, at least East Africa, and over to North Africa. It's in Asia Minor, and for the first time, it is now on the continent of Europe. Now, I want to, uh, this is a side note. This is not the, part, uh, the point of the sermon. Side note. We believe, or some of us that reject Christianity, so many of us that I interact with, and I've said this before, we reject it on the basis of what has happened historically. 
we say that this was the white man's religion and this was his way of condemning the world. That is absolutely not true. 16 chapters into the book of Acts, the, Bible, the gospel is now reaching. The first church is about to be planted on the continent of Africa. That's 16 chapters in. 1 through 15 is all about the gospel and churches being planted in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia Minor, and now is in Europe. Jesus is for all people groups. He wants all people to come into his fold, but we have a Christian memory in Africa and Asia before he even makes it to Europe. It doesn't mean that God loves anyone any less, but maybe we are to rethink how we think about this when we're rejecting because you have people in your life that rejects it on that basis. But praise the Lord that it is finally on the continent of Europe. We praise the Lord for that. But also there's one more barrier that we see. That uh, And we're going to see that pretty clear here, that God is also breaking gender barriers. The gospel and the message of God's grace is spreading during a time where they said that, that women did not have as much value as men had. You see echoes of that even till this day in the society in which we live and is certainly existing all over the world. You're going to see that God is going to break all that up and he's going to say that, no, he values men and women alike the same. And we're going to see that even here as the gospel is going to Philippi because God is going to start the church in Europe through a woman. And God is going to start the church in Europe with a group of women meeting. And we're going to see how powerful that is. Here's the formula that I want us to look at here. Listen to the formula. Something that is very important to Christianity is this idea of freedom. Freedom from enslavement. Freedom from bondage, it is essential to the Christian message. Jesus came to set the captives free, which means that in Jesus' mind, as he is proclaiming his message, this unique new kingdom that he's advancing in the world, in his mind that there are, there are things that we are enslaved to and we may not even know it. He says that the point of the gospel is to set the captives free. Where you see the gospel and the message of God's grace it meets bondage. This is what you're going to see in the book of Acts. The physician Luke is writing this. You see, the, you see bondage, you see the gospel, the gospel meets bondage, and then you see freedom. Message of God's grace, bondage, freedom. You're going to see that over and over and over again, and my prayer is that that is true for us today. That when you hear the gospel today and the message of God's grace for your life, that you begin to recognize that it may be speaking to some bondages or to some enslavement in your life that God wants to free you from. And as a result, that you experience the freedom that God has always desired for you and has planned for you. And it's a part of what it means to live out our true purpose in God. Amen? The question that I, I do want to offer us, though, because while it is true that where you have bondage, and while you have the, uh, the, the presence of the, God, the message of God's grace, when you put those together, it equals true freedom. Here is a paradox, a tension that we all live with. What happens when you do have the presence of the gospel in your life? That you do, in fact, believe this message that Jesus came to teach, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. And it meets your bondage, however, you find yourself going over and over again and going through the same thing or becoming enslaved to the same type of bondage that Jesus delivered you from in the first place. What happens when that happens in your life? That typically leads us to despair and it leads us to discouragement. Does this thing work? This thing called Christianity, does it work? 
I think that there's something that God wants to say to us about this because there's a way in which God has created us that he wants us to experience the true freedom that the gospel affords us, that his message affords us, but sometimes we simply don't know how to access that full freedom in our life. Amen? And so I want to talk about that today. So we're going to learn from two people. We're going to learn from a Philippian slave, and we're going to learn from a Philippian jailer what God has planned for us when it comes to the freedom that he pronounces over our life. Three encouragements here. The first encouragement I'm going to see that I see in this text is that, listen, I want to encourage us to fight against a bondage of sin. To fight against a bondage of sin. Let me define sin before I move on. Sin was a military term. It was a term for archers. When an archer in the military, when he's looking at his object or the, the, um, the bullseye in front of him, he shoots. If he misses it, that was called hormatia, sin. You missed the mark. There is a mark that God has designed for all of humanity, and we miss it. We miss it often, we miss it often, and we miss it big. And sometimes I'm not even talking about, oh, ooh, I was so close. No, we miss it all the way. That's what it means to be in bondage to sin. It's in bondage to always missing this mark without any thought that God cares about the, the way that we're missing this mark. Let's go ahead and read this text, and then we'll jump, jump right into it. Luke writes, the physician, he writes this as he's describing what's happening with the church historically during the first uh, decades of the church. This is what he says. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are great are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. All right. Well, it looks like they're getting some free advertisement. Let's see what the, uh, what the problem uh, is here. So like we said earlier, the gospel is now advancing in Europe. It's now in Philippi. Philippi was a city uh, that was for retired soldiers. And so it was a Roman colony. So it was something that was very special to Rome, and you had a lot of ex-soldiers there. We have the experience of, in this city, Lydia, this woman who was very wealthy, she becomes a Christian in this place, and she was the first Christian convert, uh, at least in, in this city, uh, that we see. And then now we see that there is another woman, another and just as important woman, didn't matter because of her socioeconomic status, she's just as important to the story. You have a wealthy woman, and then you have a woman that is poverty-stricken, and she's also a slave. We don't even know her name. They often did not give names to slaves in the ancient world. The names that they ascribed to the slaves in the ancient world were typically their function. They either gave them names of numbers or they gave them names of their function. This is how they thought about them. And so we knew that she was a slave. Do we have that picture of that this morning? Most, this is something that is very common. Maybe we don't. But she was a slave, which meant this. It meant something that was very similar to what we see in the 19th century, all the way from the 16th to the 19th century in America. It meant that she was socially and economically reduced to cattle. Her value was reduced to what she could do for other people. That's what it meant for her to be a slave. And we also know this about this woman, that, that she was possessed by a spirit that allowed her to predict the future. 
Whatever this is, we know that literally the name in the Greek of the spirit that possessed her, uh, in the Greek we see that is Pythonese. It was the spirit that gave her great insight into what was happening, and these people knew it because what she said, it would actually happen. Right? It's like she said it would happen, and it happened, and these people were amazed by her. They enslaved this woman so that she may make money for them. Let's look at this formula because I want us to see that this woman was reduced to a social spectacle. She was enslaved to people. She was enslaved to the culture in which she lived, and she was enslaved to what we would call a false truth, something that was not essentially true about who and what she was, but the culture had something different to say about it. Let's look at what she was enslaved to. Well, we say that she was enslaved to people which means that she, there was a reductionist value and she was not to be, she was to do, which means that she was not seen as a human being, she was, a, she was only seen as a human doing. That means that you have no being. I don't care what you think. You got something on your mind? Who cares? Just do. She was also enslaved to a false truth and what culture had to say. A false truth would say this. It could be as if she knew that she, there was more to her life than what people were expecting from her, but she had no way and there was no cultural outlet for her to access that, for her to communicate that. She was operating in something that she knew was false about her. Perhaps she knew. But everything around her reinforced the belief that makes her believe what they say is true. Do we understand what I'm saying here? There was an external reality, an external voice that reinforced perhaps internal voices, and it made it true in her life, which is not what's actually true at all. The scriptures tells us that God has a high value of people and a high value of women and a high value of men. And he places such significant value on humanity that he gives, he gives us his very image. We, scriptures tells us that we were made in the very image of God. You look in any ancient source about creation and about creation accounts, no one is made in the image of God except the king except those that were born into royalty. Regular people are not born. Slaves are not born and made in the image of God. The scripture tells us that God actually made all of humans in his image, including women, and this was not true for her, so she's operating in a false truth because it's in fact true. We see this all over the place. We know people in the Bay Area right now working with ministries with young women that are literally being kidnapped daily, that they may be reduced to this human doing and reduced to just wanting to know what these women can do for men through sexual favors. Purchased, reduced to nothing. Wherever the church is, there should be a declaration of freedom present. Wherever the church is, we should be seeing and recognizing and on our knees weeping and crying for those that are all around us that are enslaved to people, enslaved to with all of the lies that people had said about them. Right now, this is happening. Breaks my heart. And why does it break our hearts? Because we're overwhelmed and it can be all about us and we have no idea that we're looking at it. 
whether it be in the shops that we go into, whether it be the nail shops, whether it be on the corners in the red light district, no matter where it is. But that is a physical example. There are ways in which that we can also be enslaved to people and we can be enslaved to culture and we can be enslaved to our own shame and the own voices that happens that, we, that we're wrestling with. It's the tape that plays in our mind that we cannot press stop on and it brings about shame and says that this is what you are. I don't expect anything else from you. And then this is the false truth that we live under. Let me ask these three questions here. Who are the people that you are enslaved to? What cultural um, opinions are there out there that you are enslaved to? Was it something that mom said or mom didn't say? Was it something that dad, say, that dad said but, or dad didn't say? What are the people and the opinions that you're enslaved to? What societal standards do you try to live up to? And what about this? What lie are you believing right now? What false truth are you operating under? It is important to slow down when we're looking at people's lives and how it is being transformed by the message of God's love. And when we look at it and we slow down, we actually see that there's not much different from them than us. We're dealing with the same stuff on the inside, the same doubts, the same shame, the same fears, the same guilt on the inside. And there's ways that the gospel and this message of God's grace can just blow that right out of the water. A false self means that you operate in a mask. This is why we talk about transformation or transformational community. What use is it for the Christian to enter into community and not live or not be transformed? That's the invitation that God gives his people, that there's something there at the deepest parts of you that God can transform and God can speak to, but we have to do the work of actually looking at those voices that are controlling us. I want us to see what this woman is living with and what we may be living with as well. Look at this response to this enslavement. Look at what Paul does as he's looking at this woman. In verse 18, now let's, let's remember that she's following them around for several days, and she's following them, and she's saying that, hey, these men are from the Most High. These men, they're going to tell you uh, how to get saved. That's what she's saying. Now, I'm not sure where she gets that from. I don't know if she heard him one time, but whatever it is, in one sense, you could say that, hey, this is free advertisement. That's great. But Paul doesn't see it that way. Let's read in verse 18 what, what happens. It says that finally, in verse 18, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, it didn't even say to her, it says to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. In the name of Iesum, Iesu Christu, is what she would have heard in the Greek. In the name of this Jesus, I command you to come out of her. He tells her in this spirit of annoyance. Now listen, what you actually see here is a deep annoyance from Paul. Uh, 
it's kind of like this. It's, it's like when mommy and daddy are talking, they're having a great conversation in the car. And you have your beautiful, savant-like, next best thing children, the next presidents of the world, continue to interrupt the conversation uh, with things that they believe is the most important thing in the world at the moment. And they begin to say things like, "Why, your mom and dad, we're about to have this revelation of our, of our relationship. We're about to go to the deepest parts of the next level of our relationship together. We're discovering things about ourselves. And they keep on saying, dad, 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 daddy, 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 daddy. And then mommy, 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 mommy. What happens in that moment is, now, of course, I don't do this because I'm a pastor. You turn around with this spirit of annoyance and say that, stop my wonderful, beautiful, next best thing, savant-like children. Please stop. I think this is at the essence of what's going on within the mind of Paul. Stop this. This is, not, this is actually false advertisement. You have not experienced this truth. It's not even true for you. Don't proclaim it. Don't fake it if it's not even true for you. Let me actually speak to this thing, and hopefully it will be made true for you. He pronounces this, no more. Perengalo, no more. He speaks to the thing that was actually causing her to do this. He says, hey, listen, I, I might have been reducing you down to what I see right now because we all have a story that precedes what you see in front of you. I'm not even going to speak to who I see in front of me right this second. I'm going to speak to the past. I'm going to speak to the thing that's causing this thing within you. He's speaking to the deepest parts of her reality. And then he casts the demon out. I'm reminded of this declaration of no more when it comes to a bondage of sin. Scripture is it's this cry and this plea for people and for Christians over Scripture to say that, listen, whether a Christian or not, do not be in bondage to sin. Do not be in bondage to what people have to say. Do not be in bondage even to your own sin. Galatians 5.1 says this. Galatians 5.1 says that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Listen, you have the message of God's grace that you may experience the true freedom that only God can give you. If you are experiencing enslavement to anything, he said, listen, you're not giving, getting the greatest quality of the gospel, which is freedom. It's for freedom's sake that God has freed us. I want to encourage us to look more like the greatest trilogy ever made, which was what? Lord of the Rings. God bless you all. Let's get our daily dosage of Lord of the Rings. Do we have that picture at all? We, yes, we do. Yes, yes. Let's look at this brother. I want to introduce you to Theoden. Theoden was king of Rohan, the horse people. You see that Theoden doesn't look normal, does he? That is not a lotion issue. That's not just dry skin. Theoden is currently under the possession and under the power and enslaved to the powers of Sauron. All right? This, this is the power of darkness that he's enslaved to, and he doesn't even recognize, and he doesn't have memories of the past. My man Gandalf has to come in, and this is the part that we can play in the lives of other people. My man Gandalf comes in, and he pronounces these words over them, almost as if he's saying, Perengello. He says that, listen, it is time for us to stop this enslavement, and he pronounces these words over him, too long, listen to this poetry, too long have you sat in the shadows, 
breathe the free air again, my friend. And after he does this, he drains this spirit and he drains this darkness from him. And then this is what you have here. You have this man saying that he coming from his days. Where was I? What was I doing? I was not myself. This is the pronouncement and this is the, the beautiful pronouncement that God pronounces over us. And I want us to see this. Breathe the free air again. Listen to my question. This is a process of self-discovery. Where and what are you enslaved to? What are the areas of your life right now that we don't know, but God knows that you are enslaved to? The areas in your soul that you know that you are enslaved to, the things that you know right now that you're afraid of in your spirit because you know you're going to return back to it. What are you enslaved to? It comes a time where we have to say, Perengalo, no more. Declare freedom from this thing. And the way that we do this is that she doesn't declare it to herself. There's someone also there with her that's going to pronounce it over her. And sometimes we say that we can't do it ourselves. Pastor, brother, I don't know how to do this myself. Actually, I don't think I have enough strength to do this myself. I'm enslaved to something that's harming me. Help me. We have to talk, and that's the first step to us declaring power over this enslavement. Secondly, I want us to see a different type of bondage. You have some spiritual bondage that is destructive to us and destructive to our spirits, and is, it is uh, the very antithesis to what God wants for us and freedom in him with free conscience so that we were able to exist with the God that created us the way that he wanted us to be. But there's also a type of uh, bondage that God uses in our lives. Let's talk about that. This one is a bondage to glory, a bondage of glory. Let's read that. Verse 23, it says this. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Okay, what in the world is going on? We got something happening in the midnight hour. It's an old gospel song about that. That's what I hear in my head right now. In the midnight hour. You got something happening in the midnight hour. What happens? They cast this demon out of this woman, this spirit that was given her this knowledge of the future. It's, it ended somebody's career. There are some people, it's, it's in their best interest that you are not free. Right? Some people don't want you to be free. You have people right now that are in relationships right now where they feel in bondage and they can't get free and they're afraid to get free. And the person that's putting them in the bondage wants them to stay exactly where they are. Why? Because of their own brokenness. They want you to stay exactly where you are. The people in Philippi did not want this woman free. Why didn't they want this woman free? Because they had reduced her to what she could do for them. She's making them money. The pimp doesn't want the prostitute free. The abusive husband doesn't want the woman who makes him feel like a man free. There's people that don't want you the people that hang out with you and you're saying that, listen, I think there's more to life. I think there's more to this. I wanted to go through a process of discovery. They don't want you because you're messing up the mix. 
there was some consequences to what they said. There's consequences to this proclamation of truth in this woman's life. They proclaimed the message. They proclaimed freedom by casting this spirit out of her, and then they were beaten and flogged, and they were thrown in prison because of this. They said, these men, they come, and, and, and they're ending our economic gain. So what you see here is you see something. Uh, let's make sure we put that picture up there. You see something uh, that they're doing. I think it's so powerful. I think there's something that we can learn from here. It says that they're placed in the inner cell, which means that they're placed under maximum security. They're placed in the inner cell, and their feet is placed in the stocks. That means that these are high-risk or, 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 um, or big-deal criminals, if you will. These are You put them, you don't want them to, uh, to escape, but you also want them to, to deal with the, or have the most discomfort possible. Now, notice this. This is extremely uncomfortable. They're in the inner cell right now in a Philippian jail, which is made after the Roman model. So Romans knew what they were doing when it comes to locking up people. You see that their arms are shackled, their feet shackled, they can't lay down, and if they try to lay back, they, their, their back is opened up to wounds. There's no way to be comfortable here. And if I can go just a little step further to talk about how uncomfortable and how miserable this experience, experience was, as the wounds are trying to close and they're getting tired, you slump down and then it stretches the wounds, which means that you break it back open. Ugh, Yeah. This is the state that these people, that these men are in right now. And what are they doing? They're screaming, they're angry. No, it didn't say that. Now, it doesn't mean that you, that you can't be angry. Sometimes we have to be more in touch with our anger. It's not to, but what they were doing was something coming from a real, genuine place. They were singing hymns, which I sing when you go through hard times. Huh? You, you, you like me, uh, or, uh, at one point in my life, before I met the love of my life, when my heart was broken, I was like, Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> love ain't nothing but a secondhand emotion. <laughs> I'm done with this love thing. <laughs> what are you singing when you go through hard times in life? What do people hear around you? What's your life singing when you're going through hard times? Because we're about to see that God is actually wanting to use this, and we're about to see exactly why God is going to use this and how he's going to do it. But what are you singing? Because here's the reality. People are listening. It says that they were listening. They're not just hearing. They're listening. What were they listening? What were they hearing while these people were singing? They're singing in the midnight hour while they are abused and beat up. Maybe they're singing something along the lines because hymns were closely tied to the Psalms. Maybe they're singing, it is well, my soul. Though peace like a river. I wish I knew the rest of the words. <laughs> May tended my soul. Attended my way. Thank you. I've always wanted to be a singing pastor. I can't. One of these days. They're singing hymns, and people are listening, and they're listening to, and I'm sure that they are confused and confounded. How are you able to sing right now when you're suffering so much? Scripture tells us, and Paul tells us in a different letter, that when we weep as Christians, that we don't weep like other people. And it's not to condemn other people. It's not to say that we're better than other people, because we're not. We are just as broken as people. We are just as desperate as everyone else. As a matter of fact, we may be even a bit more desperate. 
It says that, he says in a different part in Corinthians, he said, listen, when we weep, we don't weep as those without hope. When we weep and we experience things in our life, we say that, listen, we know that this is not it, that there's a God that is actually active and real and he's alive. And, he, and we see with this lens, we see that God is at work everywhere. And so when sometimes when we see suffering, there's a temptation to believe that God is not present. But for some reason, because of this faith that we have and this, this, this newly liberated mind, we have a lens that's able to actually see. It's kind of like a lens of the matrix. You see things that you've never seen before. You see that, wait a minute, God is actually at work. Suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Let me say this. Listen, you have something that is, you have another formula here that is very confusing here. And other parts of right, right prior to this, you have these men that God delivered these, these men from, this, from their imprisonment. They get free. Listen to this. I was a pretty average student at math. Tell me if you know the equation to this. Earthquake plus unfastened chains. It should equal an escape for Paul and Silas. So y'all with me on this math, right? Because that's what happens. The earthquake, everything gone, and, and, and they're just sitting there. I'm sure Silas is like, bro, what are we doing here? It's, it's time to go. They do not leave. That was not the purpose of that bondage. That was not the purpose, and that's not how God wanted to use that situation in their life. There are people listening to the songs that you sing when you go through midnight hours, one. And two, there are ways that God wants to specifically use what you're going through in life. For the Christian, there is purpose to pain. We see the purpose. Let's look at this principle right here. The effects and benefits of God working in your life is not confined to the borders of you. It's not confined to the borders of you, but extends to the lives of those closest to you and around you at large. That's how God is using the stuff that you're going through in life. I know it's hurtful. I know it's painful. There's going to come a time where we know that God is going to end all suffering, and we believe that, and we hold on to that hope, but God is using it, and there's not a single ounce of your suffering, of your woes, and of your tears that God is going to allow to go to the ground in vain. God is going to use all of that. Here's the correct equation as we look at it in the scriptures. Earthquake plus unfastened chains equals a display of God's glory. It's God's glory in your life on display, and it is, has major impact for those around you. God uses it powerfully. God has used my life in this way. Pain and suffering in our life, the stuff of our past, they often leave a huge question mark in our spirits, and we say that, why, Lord? One of the ways that we get great satisfaction of God working out things in our life is that we understand that somehow God is going to use it for his glory, but we still may have to struggle with the hurt of it. And it's okay to struggle with the hurt. It's okay to be angry. It's okay. Let me read this, 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 this other principle here. God will often use the lives of his people 
in order to display the magnificence of his glory, that he may lift his people up, hold them out before the onlooking universe, and say, look at my servant. Learn from them. And also great is their reward. And so part of the hope and the belief that we have, which we're going to close our time here with that hope. Paul says that a part of the perspective of the Christian as we are struggling and as we are looking at how God is using the pain in our life and our sufferings, that somebody else may come to know the love of God. As he says this in, first, in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says this, for our light, for the struggles that we experience in this world, they are light or, excuse me, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an internal glory that far outweighs them all. He says, Pastor, that sounds good. But you just want me to trust that and believe that? Well, that's the beauty of what God is offering to us. He said, yes. Let's look at this last part, and it actually gives us uh, the posture that God wants for us all when we're talking about the freedom of life and bondage and how God uses the things and sufferings that we experience in this life. The best thing that can come out of that is a yielding of our lives. A yielding of our lives. Let's look at verse 29. It says that the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had, he had come to believe in God, he in his household. Listen to that. This man, he did something illegal. He took Paul and he took Silas and he took them to his home, took them out of the jail, and he laid meal before them without fear that they will leave him because he was so overwhelmed by what had, what had happened. Excuse me. I wanted to see this question that he asked. When he's faced with this reality that all of the chains are open right now, people can live. And now we need to understand this historically. Historically, when someone escapes from a Roman Roman jailer, that meant you had to pay for it with your life. Okay? When he noticed that no one is moving... And Paul and Silas gained so much credibility because of their, their character and what they do in the midst of struggling. And people were able to look at what they were doing in the midst of struggling. They didn't even get up to leave. As they're looking at this, this man runs in. And he asks this question. He says, what must I do to be saved? What question? What was the question? Was he asking what must I do to save my life physically? Was he asking, what must I do to have what you have? It's not fully clear, and he could mean both. But we do know the answer that he's, get, that he's given. Paul gives him the most important answer that you can give to the most important question. 
The most important question that any of us can ask is, listen, what must I do to be saved? Or what must I do with this God that you're singing about? What am I? Who am I? What's the purpose of this life? Does God exist? What is going on in this world? What does he require of me? And if he requires something of me, what is it that you want, Lord? That's the most important question that any of us can ask. See, this man had come to the end of himself in light of crisis in his life, and he asked the right question. How many of us don't ask this question? How many of us take life for granted and we never get around to asking the most important questions of life as it pertains to our very ontology, our very makeup? How did we get here? Who is this God? And what is it that he wants from me? This question is offered. And then Paul gives the answer, you must believe. Believe. That's the central Factor is that we are made right with God, that we can receive this message of grace by this one word, belief. I'm reminded of these two things. At the end of the Bible, the second book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation, Jude makes a very important statement. And Jude said that, be merciful to those that doubt. Mark 9, Jesus says something very similar. When Jesus was healing a man's daughter, the man said that, Lord, heal my daughter, please. And Jesus says that all you have to do is believe. The man said with everything within him, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. What is he saying? Lord, I'm trying my best to believe. I'm trying my best to to believe that, that you are the Son of God and that God sent you. I'm trying my best to believe. And that was sufficient for Jesus. Belief. It's belief that God offers us that gives us what we need for the freedom that God has for us. All you have to do is believe. And it doesn't say believe blindly. There's things that God gives as a witness of his power in the world. He doesn't want you just to have a blind faith. He wants it to be well informed. You'll never hear me just say that, hey, believe it because the Bible said it. I won't just say that. I will say that this is why I believe God is saying this. Everything around us, it bears witness to the truth of our conscience. And our conscience bears witness that what we are reading and what we are seeing, there's truth to it. My encouragement to all of us right now as we're dealing with struggles in life, as we're dealing with bondage, as we're dealing with shame, as we're dealing with the fear of what we may go back into, is that, listen, God has given you freedom, Christian. Do not go back into the enslavement that God has freed you from. And if there's somebody that you need to come in, if it's a physical nature, talk to some of the fellows of the church and and we'll go with you. But we don't play that. We'll go with you. You have brothers and you have sisters and you have friends that will go with you but if you have secret sins that you're struggling with that is taking away your joy taking away your sense of closeness to God desensitizing you whatever it is you have to proclaim peringello over it and believe that God is able to do great things even with your vulnerability to your brothers and sisters believe believe in the power of God in your life. 
we're reminded of this and we're given reminders of God's reality, of God's presence, of God's realness, and of God's love for us. Every time that we meet, we're reminded that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, while we didn't have it together, we are still jacked up, we were still flawed, that you don't have to be perfect. Religion says that you have to do a bunch of stuff to meet God's approval. Relationship says that you believe and that God upon that belief would do so much. It says that somebody had to come into your place and live the life that you couldn't live. Died the death that we should have died because of our sin. Jesus says that the night that before the night that he was uh, betrayed, the night before he was sacrificed, he took bread, gave thanks, and said that this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, Jesus took the cup and said that this is the blood of my new covenant. Take and drink. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is a declaration of belief. So if you're still on the fence, you're still like, I, I don't know if I believe in this, then we say that you abstain from this meal. Because it's a declaration of belief. But maybe you're here right now. And maybe you're saying that I'm struggling with believing in this. And I want to believe in this, God. But I have so many things in my life that is telling me not to believe. I have voices in my life that's telling me that I shouldn't believe in And maybe you're saying that, what must I do? I want to give you some words that you can pray. I want to give you some words that I even prayed myself. Prayed myself when I came to know this Lord, this God of the universe. And from there, I hope that we can continue a conversation. Let's pray. If this is you in this room, you say that, God, I don't know if you're real but I want to know you. I want to say that maybe you can open up your heart and open up your mind and pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I don't know if you will, but, but I really want you to show yourself to me. I don't know, but, but, but maybe I've been feeling disconnected from what's real in this world and what's most important. Are you real? Lord, show it to me. Lord, there are things that I feel about myself that causes me to doubt goodness in this world. There's evil in this world and and maybe causes me to doubt that, that you are a good God, but Lord, I'm trying my best. Please help me to believe. And Lord, I I I heard this term sin. I heard this term that that we missed the mark and that. I know that there are probably things that I do in my life that doesn't meet your standard. Lord, what does that mean? Does it mean that I carry my own guilt? Lord, please show me and reveal yourself to me. Listen to me. If that's you praying that prayer, I believe that God could do so much with that. And Father, I want to pray for that person right now, Lord, that you do reveal yourself to them and that, Lord, that you begin to work and you begin this journey, Lord, of discovery and and understanding of who you are and how real you are in this world and what plans you have for them because you have good for them. And what that means is we are literally turning from our way and our self-autonomy, our self-dependence, and we're turning to you. 
we're believing on you for salvation. And we can then say with the Philippian jailer, I was glad because I believed on God. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. Come and eat.